sit down, man. Buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Uh, I'm Nate Larkin, last I checked, and I am here sitting across uh, the table from my good friend Aaron Porter. Yes, we are back in the same zip code. More than that, back in the same postal code. More than that, back in the same room. How you doing, Aaron? Oh, man, you had to ask that question. I don't know how to answer that question with any honesty. It's been a a hard few weeks. Yeah. Uh, But I'm here. Okay. I am present in my pain. Okay. Are you living life on life's terms? Are you surfing the conflict? Are you actually just facing it, not medicating it away? How are you doing? Man, I try to, to have fairly good language on this program, but when you say all of that... All I can think of is, fuck you. <laughs> uh, but that's not the response I want. Right. Um, that's the response we keep inside and we say things like PTL. Yeah, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Surfing, surfing shit? I don't know. Yeah. It's fine. Oh, boy. Okay. Uh, what, I, what I do believe is that seasons exist mm-hmm. and I will be in a new season. Yeah. In at some point in the future, I keep thinking not too distant. There's a few markers for me that are a month and a half away. Okay. So, yeah, mm. that's that's my uh, that's where I'm at. You know, I've had some uh, some highs and lows myself here in the last couple of weeks. I missed our appointment uh, to do this podcast last week because I made an unexpected trip up to Western Pennsylvania. Yeah. Geez. See that, that this'll help put things in perspective for me. Go ahead. Sure. Sure. So, uh, so a sister barely two years younger than I diagnosed just a few years ago with early onset Alzheimer's. So is she the next sister down? No, two down. Wow. Two two years. Yeah. They came in rapid succession. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, Th- three in a row, and then a set of twins. There was a point at which my mother had uh, five children, four and under. So yeah, it was a Insane. it was a busy time in the Larkin. So this house. is a sister. I mean, you've got nine, I nine other many siblings. Many siblings, siblings. Yeah, <laughs> I like siblings. Many actually. siblings. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but this one, you know, I imagine when you have that many, I only had one. Mm-hmm. So when you have that many, I imagine that you don't know the younger ones. That is true. That is true. But I was, but, you know, the early years of my parents' marriage, you know, my, my dad was a Pentecostal preacher in tiny churches. We mm-hmm. lived in tiny houses. Uh, the three of us, uh, the three oldest, you know, we slept in the same bed until I was three or four, sideways mm-hmm. on a three-quarter bed, uh, you know, bathed together, you know, played together. We grew up together. And Ruthie uh, always has been the sweetest of all the kids. Hmm. Just, uh, just always there with a positive statement, with a giggle, with a forgiveness. And what a harsh reality that this cruel disease steals a person's personality. Mm-hmm. And uh, this woman who would never, ever, uh, you know, raise a hand to anybody or say an unkind word. In her confusion and frustration and pain and bewilderment has become, 
you know, combative, occasionally violent to the mm -hmm. point where she has to be chemically restrained. So when I went to see her, um, and that was just so hard to see. You know, she, d of course, didn't know that I was there. She was sleeping the first time I visited and kind of in a semi-awake, semi-aware state the second mm -hmm. time. So heavily medicated, actually, that she can't eat properly. And so losing weight at uh, an alarming rate now, pretty much under hospice care, Mm -hmm. You know, with compassionate measures, I don't know how much longer she's going to last. To see the pain that her husband is going through as he, you know, stands by her bedside and tries to feed her day after day. You know, her kids, it's just, you know, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. I think for people that haven't gone through this, um, it's... It's probably hard to understand. I know with, with my dad's mother, mm -hmm. I stopped going to visit her because she didn't know I was there. Right, yeah. And it was really hard for me to see this is not the person I knew. Right. But I remember Jenny and I started dating in high school, and I, I don't remember what we were doing, but she went with us down to Los Angeles, mm -hmm. and she wanted to go meet my grandma, and oh, she wanted me to go in. Yeah. And I was like no i'm i'm not because there was kind of that weird yeah uh -huh. thing so she actually went in i stayed in the car she went in with my mom and dad and pretty much my dad was the only one that she would recognize, recognize. at that point yeah. yeah but that's that's a lot of hard stuff to navigate mm -hmm. like how do you even show care mm -hmm. which parts are for you which parts are for them right like that's that's complicated stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's not like someone that, you know, has cancer or something where they know you're there, they feel your comfort. Right. Like you're making much harder decisions with this. Yeah, I mean, my brother-in-law was faced with just heartbreaking decisions. Uh, yeah, I got a phone call a couple of weeks ago. Do we turn off her defibrillator? Yeah, you know, so that's that is a device that were there a cardiac event would, you know, keep her, you know, put her heart back in rhythm and extend her life. I can't imagine being asked that question. Yeah. I just can't imagine it. And, and, and there really aren't right. I mean, everybody that has an opinion yeah. feels there's a right or wrong version of this. Yeah, sure. But everyone who has an opinion has a reason for various versions of answers to yeah, that. Right, right. Uh, and so how are you doing just at a heart level with all of that? I want to tell you, it's been very, you know, a, a big part of recovery is learning how to live from your heart, to, to be emotionally aware and emotionally present, which is something that, you know, I still am such an awkward rookie at doing. Um, and uh, I've done my best to be present. I, 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 was, I was up in Pennsylvania for, you know, two days, three nights, not only with my sister, but with her family and with some other relatives. Uh, one of my brothers, one of my sisters were there. But um, I, I found that I was, I was okay until I was in the room. When I was in the room with her, I just, I, I couldn't hang, Aaron. I couldn't hang. I, I shut down. I envied my brother-in-law his tears. Mm. I really did. 
And uh, I, you know, I have come close to tears since then, thinking about it. But in the moment, I just wasn't able to be there. I wasn't. That sounds like a harsh judgment. You were there. Yeah, I was there physically. I was there physically, and I, you know, I brought myself, and I, you know, I didn't stay away from the room. Um, I wanted to be, and I want to be able to get a big part of recovery is grief work. A a lot of it is grief work, which again, not my strength. I wasn't, you know, I was, I was raised in an atmosphere where grief is disbelief. Right. Real Christians don't grieve, don't cry, you know, um, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, <laughs> right? Oh, no. Uh huh. Uh huh. that song, but okay. Mm hmm. And um, but there, there's also just personality with that. Mm-hmm. Like I am both horrible. I'm I'm happily no longer employed in a job where hospital visits are an expectation. Mm-hmm, right. I was always horrible at that. Oh, I sucked at it. One of the main reasons I wanted to get out of the pastoral ministry. So hard. And I, I, oh, I'm not even going to give the couple examples of just horrible situations I was in that mm-hmm. I, that, that were traumatic. I yeah. mean, I, I couldn't get the feeling out of my hands with certain things I had to hold and do, but you show up, you do your best. Right. Um, I'm bad at grieving. Yeah. Because I'm a move on kind of person. Mm-hmm. So there is work in that. Yeah. But I think even with this idea of grief work, there's an expectation of here's the right way to do it. Uh-huh. I, I'm never going to live up to that. You know, one of the insights from uh, modern research into uh, neuropsychology is uh, the discovery that some of us on a brain level are more sensitive than others. Uh, What does that mean? So, for example, uh, you know, my mother wanted me to be a doctor. But the problem is I practically pass (laughs) out at the sight of blood. That's a problem. Yeah. Uh, the, The most, you know, horrendous thing for me about visiting isn't that I didn't care about the folks that I went to visit, but I'd go to see somebody who had just been through surgery, and they would describe the surgery. And oh, as they des- do that, that's as they were describing yep. it, I am feeling it. Okay, the first time I passed out, seventh grade. Yeah, my teacher describing doing a rock climbing thing, fell down, starts talking about the gash on his whatever. Yeah, I'm sitting at a lab table. Yeah. I wake up on the ground with my best friend Lee kicking me in the head like yeah. he's he's yeah, bobbling yeah. my head like a soccer ball and everybody's looking down at me and I start reaching for blankets cuz I think I'm in bed. Oh really? And but, then yeah. I realize, oh crap, I'm in my 7th grade science class. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean people describing stuff from that age, not cool. You know, and Allie is sensitive, but in a different way. And she and the kids would love to torture me. <laughs> um, be, they would love, they, they would watch surgery documentaries. That's uh-huh. the kind of thing they like, brain oh surgery, gosh. all that. I have to get up and leave the room. <laughs> 
And and so they would, you know, at the dinner table, they would suddenly start describing a surgical procedure <laughs> just because they knew I'd I'd have to leave. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so, but but now you're in it with your I'm, sister. I'm in it with my sister. It's a different kind of pain. This is yeah. This is an emotional thing. It's an emotional thing, but you still have that stuff tied in. Yeah, you're in this situation. Yeah, it's not a bloody thing. But it's still a hospital thing. Yeah. And there are a whole bunch of, who am I doing this for? Sometimes it's for your brother-in-law. Yeah. Sometimes it's for your own sake. And it's okay that it's for your own sake, that she might not know you're there, but you're making decisions about what you're doing because you don't want to carry the, yeah, I just didn't show up. Right. I wasn't there. That's for you and that's okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was in the room with a sister who, uh, whose suggestion uh, as soon as we left the room was that it was time to go for a beer, which was like the best thing I'd heard all day. I was ready to go for a drink. So, uh, well, yeah. we're gonna We're going to talk more about that. Let's do that. But before we do, uh, our last podcast, we had some updates on what was happening for the November retreat Mm -hmm. and there are updates in fact i'll try to put this up quickly so these updates will be there okay are we totally filled up we're totally sold out on the fall retreat for the in-person retreat Mm -hmm. however um there are going to be opportunities for guys who can't make it to tennessee if they're too late to sign up or if the travel is prohibitive or the costs are prohibitive whatever you can still attend the retreat virtually we're going to do a virtual version of the retreat two weeks later the VV? That's right. The VV. <laughs> the VVR? The virtual, the virtual version. version of the retreat? Okay. All right. Uh, so uh, we're going to film the keynote event uh, uh, addresses by John Lynch, uh, the workshops, concert by Andy Gullihorn. That'll be filmed with three cameras uh, and edited. Uh, so we're going to do a virtual retreat two weeks later. That, but it's it's going to be a live event. You and I are going to be present mm-hmm. online. Yeah, we're going to have some fun. Yeah, we are, and we're going to do it via Zoom. So guys will still have small group experience. We're going to try to reproduce as much as possible. And if you have a few friends, some local guys, right. if you have a Samson group that you're meeting in yep. person and feeling comfortable with that, you don't have to do it by yourself. Right? Right. You sure. can do it with your crew. Oh, yeah. That's a great idea. Get your brothers in the room. Yeah. And and so you can experience it together. Right. Um, it's not like, oh, if there's more than three people, you have to get charged this extra. It's just no. get together. Yeah. Watch it together. Uh, there is going to be – there are costs associated with this, so we are going to charge for the for the uh, virtual event. I'm mm-hmm. not sure what – how much we're going to charge yet. It won't be much. Yeah. Uh, but it'll be something. It's mostly just to cover – the guy who has to edit all the the, the videos. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And know, we do to... we do have some other costs to recover because uh, limiting the uh, attendance of the retreat as we have, cutting right. it down. I mean, there's still hard costs, and right. yeah. So, yeah. but but it's going to be as cheap as we can make it. That's right, exactly. Because we're not in this to make money. We're in this to make disciples and. Uh, I don't know. That, what's a nice religious way to say that? So that was that was plenty religious for everybody. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so that's where we're at with the retreat. Any other updates? Can't think of any that. 
Yeah, there, there have been some amendments to our plans for the big road crews. Oh, really? Yeah. This is yeah. good. I'm glad we do the podcast so I can hear what's yeah. happening yeah, in my yeah, life. Yeah. yeah. No, uh, we, we have had kind of a collision with reality, the reality of uh, COVID, the uncertainty surrounding COVID and how quickly it's going to be realistic for us to line up uh, 30 places to go in the spring of 2021. Hmm. Uh we still don't know what's going to happen. Right. So so before it seemed like by fall it would start to taper off. And right, now right, we don't right, see right. a lot of tapering. So uh, we're going to do what we call shakedown cruises. We're going to do a few shakedown cruises in 2021 uh, where we will kind of go out and practice doing this two-day event. Uh, mm-hmm. We won't venture too far from Middle Tennessee. We'll go around places in the southeast. We've got to find appropriate places to go. Guys will still be able to sign up and come. And then we will do the big 30-city extended cruise in 2022. Okay. There you go. All right. Well, with that, we will take a quick break and come on back for a conversation that Nate and I have been waiting to have for a while, long enough that I'm going to have to search my brain to remember what I wanted to say. Okay. And all that will happen here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. Uh, I recommended to you mm-hmm. quite fervently uh, around the first of this year a book that I had discovered, A Magical Cure for Drinking. Okay, so this was by Alan Carr, mm-hmm. and he started with smoking. Right. Right? So right. he had a bunch of books, one on how to, what were they called, how to... Quit the easy way to quit smoking. The easy way to quit smoking. Then he added the easy way to quit alcohol and the right. easy way to quit. Oh, I don't know. Are there other things? I, I felt like there were. Okay. There seems like there's quite a few. Okay. Um, start with smoking. You talked about the drinking one. Now, you 
I mean, you read a lot of things. So is there a reason you read this one? Yeah, I was uncomfortable with my uh, with my drinking. And uh, yeah, it, 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 I'd been uncomfortable with it for a long time. I'd been talking about it for a long time. Begun to feel like alcohol was controlling me far more than I was controlling it. So, uh, and I'd heard... How, how do you make that determination? Because I, I know at different times over the years, you've been like, I'm, I'll have two Guinnesses, which right. I mean, Guinness is what, like four point right, right. something alcohol. So that's that's what I'll have when we go out and play cards right. without yeah, yeah. the pub. And we, yeah, when I say that, I mean, that's the kind of drinker I have been, a two beer, three beer guy. Mm-hmm. But uh, two beers, three beers every day. And when I wake up in the morning and say, I'm just not going to drink today, but by five o'clock, I'm going to the fridge or I'm heading downtown because I know that's when happy hour is. Uh, you know, now, yeah, so that's kind of the situation I was in. All right. So you already knew the plan, though, because you had the 12-step thing in your head, but you went out and read this book, which is very different. Yeah, right, right. So, yeah, I wasn't ready to do the. I didn't feel like I had to do the steps. I had at one time actually uh, tried out AA for a while. Um, I don't know. For, it seems to me as though, you know, porn addiction to me is an entirely different animal. Like that's my primary deal. And I have absolutely, I have no breaks when it comes to porn. Mm-hmm. It comes to alcohol, I got breaks. Uh, I, I never, you know, I don't drink to the point of blackout. I don't, you know, I don't. You know, right. It's not okay. Okay. So twelve steps make sense for you. Sure. For Sh- porn. For porn. But you wanted to just check out. Hey, it, what easy? Turn, What's what, not yeah, the me? easy way to quit the drinking? Easy way to quit drinking. I mean, that's that's an irresistible title, right? <laughs> yep. Yeah. So all you do is you listen to the. I listened to the audiobook, walked around, and. I'll tell you what, it was amazing. I mean, I was a freaking convert. I just announced to myself and to the world, hey, I'm a former drinker. I don't drink anymore. And I didn't miss it for a good long time. Yeah, well, it was about six I, months until you went on vacation. Yeah, well. I mean, but, vacation was... Yeah, it, vacation was it, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then when you went on vacation, you came out and said, yeah, no, I'm... Yeah, so maybe I'm a guy who drinks on vacation. Uh-huh. Right? Okay. Uh, but that has not turned out to be the case. I'm a guy who now drinks three or four times a week with his wife. I, I, here's, what I, here's the conclusion I'm coming to. Um, I have a lot of positive associations connected to alcohol uh, that, oddly enough, took root during early recovery. Hmm. Uh, in the years of, uh, during the years of early recovery, Allie and I, you know, I'd made my awkward and sporadic disclosures to Allie. Mm-hmm. She was reeling with that. We were still in the same house, but it, and we had a civil relationship, but there was a ton of distance and Allie was, you know, she was rightfully angry with me coming to terms with uh, you know, my betrayal, uh, there was, there was tension in the house. I'm, I'm also 
getting started on the 12 steps. I'm doing very difficult work. There's a lot of stress. And it's a time of financial stress. I got a lot of stresses going on. So real quick before I go on with yeah. that, what was your relationship with alcohol with before that? Um, I, yeah, Allie and I would drink alcohol, but we didn't, but it wasn't necessarily a daily thing. Um, and here's the thing. my Our most pleasant times, especially during early recovery, Allie and I would go down to McCreary's mm-hmm. and have a couple of pints together and play cards. We couldn't, you know, it was difficult to talk, but we could play nines. Mm-hmm. And then... By the second pint, we would experience what we came to call the second beer love waves. And we were able to be affirming and accepting and affectionate, you know. Mm -hmm. Those were the best freaking times. And so we came to rely on those even after, you know, we got through early recovery. And Allie got to the point where she did fully trust me again. And, you know, I've moved back into the bedroom and we're, you know, we're doing great. Um, our best connections, if you follow, you know, people's faults on Facebook, <laughs> they, for a lot of years, at least they must've thought we, all we did was drink and play cards because we, those are the oh, picture those, we posted, well, right? The, those are the early years of me coming here and staying with you guys. Yeah. I mean, come on. The first time we came, you didn't know how to turn on the oven. So yeah, that yeah. was, uh, <laughs> had to cook French toast on the barbecue. <laughs> right. Cause we ate out every meal, every meal. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of cards and it was super fun for me. I mean, yeah. that was not normal life for me. Right. So this was like, wow, we're, yeah. we're going to eat a lot of fried food. We're going to have a lot of Guinness. Yeah. So now, so now, you know, we're in the middle of COVID, Allie and I are getting along great, but you know, we, there's a lot we miss. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Allie's very much staying at home because yeah. she is at high risk. Sure. Exactly. So you've, you've done a lot of, I'm going to stay at home with her. That's right. So now we, uh, you know, there are places here now that the, the restaurants have opened up. There's, you know, there's distance seating, there's outdoor seating, but there are places where Allie and I can go have a couple of beers, play cards, just like the old days. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I'm there. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, we're back. All right. So let's, let's talk a little about the book. We can get back to that story. Yeah. But this book inspired. And I'm, this- I'm feeling, and I'm feeling disappointed the same with myself. Mm-hmm. I really am, and and a little bit angry at myself, and a little afraid, because, you know, I don't have a lot of negative associations with alcohol, not like porn. Right. Okay. Um, I know now cognitively that there are long term consequences to uh, steady drinking. Um. You know, it raises my risks for all kinds of, you know, health complications. I know that. But as far as short-term negative consequences, not very many. The only exception is, and, and, and frankly, this is what woke me up. This is, this is what really tipped me over and why I reached for the Alan Carr book and said I got to quit was I had a slip early this year with porn. And when I looked at the slip, I had had 
too much to drink. Mm. And that is a pattern. When I look back at all my previous slips, they always came after I had too much to drink. And the thing with alcohol is it tends to be progressive. I don't have a lot of consequence. I don't have a lot of confidence that I'm always going to be able to, you know, hit the brakes at two beers. And the and 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 where it could go if the planets align, if enough bad shit happens all at once, and I'm in a bad place, and alcohol has shut down my impulse control, which is what it does, right? Right. Um. I could cross the line and do what I really don't want to do. Right. So he talked about impulse control. Now, today I tried to look up just an outline of the book because yeah. I listened to the audio book as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had nothing written down I could go back to. Yeah. Uh, and I could find no good outline. Yeah. Um, but I remember he talked about impulse control or those people who have an addictive personality. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what he said about that? I don't. I know. I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah, here. We, yeah, yeah. We both listened to this book a while ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, fine. But but I, I think the point he makes, it's a point that Annie Grace makes in her book, a similar book. She follows the line. Another book along the same line is, is This Naked Mind by Annie Grace. Mm-hmm. Um, she makes the case, and I think she may get it from Carr, that the, uh, the, the there is a myth of the addictive personality. Right. I know he was kind of anti. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, but it's easy to blame the addict and say, you know, it's the addict's fault that he can't control alcohol when really the blame belongs on the alcohol. It is a highly addictive substance to which nobody is absolutely immune. Okay. So that is a big point. And I, I love, I, I'm going to, I'm going to pick on a couple things so you can respond to it. Okay. But I really enjoyed it because he, I mean, whoever read it, whomever read it, read it with such an arrogant, (laughs) like, (laughs) it made you feel stupid Uh the whole time. Right, right, right. Like, almost from like chapter The English accent didn't hurt. Oh, my gosh. And so, I I mean, I did a lot of uh, mowing the lawn and weed whacking while I was listening to it. I know these kinds of books, Uh that's the time I like to do it. Yeah. And I'd just be listening, going like, "Geez, you're a, you're a total turd blossom. If you're <laughs> like, you're just an idiot." Uh, so he writes aggressively, right? And then it's read aggressively, right? Yeah. Uh, maybe Alan is a sweet man. He doesn't sound like it, right? Yeah, right. And that's okay. Like I, I, I think I enjoyed receiving that, mm-hmm. but I had pushback. But with the addictive personality, I, I kind of enjoyed that he was pushing back on kind of an easy phrase to throw out to right. say, oh, I'm one of those. Right. And he was like, one of what? Yeah, yeah. Let's look at what's actually happening here. Mm-hmm. So do you have an addictive personality? Uh, well, probably. Like based on, based on what that word usually means? Sure. Well, no. I mean, all of us are wired to uh, uh, pursue pleasure and avoid pain. Right. Yeah, because I was going to say, yeah, you can look at your history and say yes. Then you can look at any AA meetings with people chain-smoking outside and right, say, right. okay, that's what, right. that's what an addictive personality is. Uh, and I look at my life, and geez, I love disappearing to compulsive things. Mm-hmm. I always have. I, right. could, I could give some 
strange examples I don't waste people's time on from the time I was in elementary school. Right. That I, that I would just disappear into a project. Yeah. That would be like the next three months project, not one day. Sure. Uh, and, and even, geez, with porn, I was always much more of a don't sit around looking at pictures, just keep clicking to look for the perfect picture. Right, yeah. And so it it was just like an accumulation thing. It yeah, was always right. my deal. Right, right, right. Uh, I don't actually, I say that out loud and I'm like, what was I actually looking for? I'm not sure that I've ever answered that. I don't even know that I know what I was looking for. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I never found what I was looking for, but I... Right. Yeah. Somebody should write a song about that, yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe it, that's... <laughs> That's what you two meant? Bono, you frisky fritter, you. Uh, anyways, so, yeah, I, th- I think all of us, like you said, absolutely. Self-soothing, avoiding pain, it's all, it's all a part of it. Some people are more compulsive with that, perhaps. Mm-hmm. I, heard a, I, heard a, I heard a great uh, a point today uh, listening to a book called The Craving Mind. Oh, Again, well, about right desire. There, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, one of the great medicators, uh, soothers, sooth- soothing chemicals is nicotine, delivered very, very efficiently through the lungs by cigarettes. Mm-hmm. The U.S. Army began issuing cigarettes to soldiers in World War I. World War II, every soldier got four cigarettes with every meal. With every meal? Yeah. Okay. Now, here you are in the middle of war. Talk about stress. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you are given a stress reduction, a stress medicator stick, four of them at every meal, and that helps get you through the freaking war. For the rest of your life, you're going to associate that relief with stress of any kind. Ah, interesting. So smoke a cigarette and you almost have to get yourself to a stress point to enjoy the stress relief. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, let me complicate this even more. Geez, I've tried to get this guy on the, the podcast so many years ago. Paul Bloom, I think, mm-hmm. has written a number of books on pleasure. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about stress release, avoiding pain, and the idea of pleasure, right? the idea of pleasure now complicates it because pleasure is freaking weird. Right. Like there's no thing that is pleasure. Right. Um. And he does a great job of messing with your brain to mm-hmm. say, what, what am I even after? Sure. Where have I come from? And again, mm-hmm. we can go back to Jay with last year talking about here's your arousal templates, here's the why. Mm-hmm. But I'm not even talking about just sexual pleasure, alcohol pleasure, drug pleasure. He's talking about I enjoy this art. Mm-hmm. Why? Right. I mean, there's no dog sitting in front of a Monet going... I'm just going to thump my tail it's on the, right, the floor right, of the museum. Right, right, There's right, right. something else. Right, right. Okay. Uh, let me throw this out. Uh, he he tried to be gracious towards 12 steps in his book uh-huh. and utterly failed. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things he came back to was 12 steps declares that you will always be an alcoholic right. but tells you you should come to meetings mm-hmm. to get better yeah. from alcoholism. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, when you were reading kind of his his harsh take yeah. on 12 steps and how it doesn't need to be as complicated as they make it. Yeah. What were you thinking? I mean, I you know, I followed him. I I think 
you know, he was pushing back against the whole idea. He doesn't want to blame the user. He wants to blame the substance, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so I get that. Uh, and, and I think the allowance he makes for, you know, he, he does say that, you know, a significant number of people have successfully stopped drinking through their association with the fellowship. And I think he would uh, attribute their success to the to the community, to the fellowship, to the connection, rather than to anything magical going on there. Um, I don't know. I've had some more insight into why uh, reading that book worked for me temporarily and why the effect for me failed, faded over time. Okay. Uh, again, reading more about desire, uh, there is... Uh, there is a, 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 a sensation that, that we have in our brain uh, that can be stimulated in our brain that shuts desire down instantly. And that is the sensation of disgust. Hmm. Uh, you, you know, when you take a sniff of something that's rotted in the fridge or, you know, the smell of, you know, somebody's puked in the elevator or whatever, right? <laughs> of course, okay? puked it, in the elevator. It shuts it down, right? right? There's no desire if there's disgust. Can't right, 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 right. You know, uh, you know, I think I watched five minutes of video in a slaughterhouse once and was a vegetarian for about a, three days, right? But, but triggered by disgust. Right. And Carr, in his book, it really says he, that you know, ethanol, pure ethanol, is is has a very disgusting taste. You mm -hmm. you you recoil from it. It's why you can't get animals to drink it because it triggers disgust. Right. So uh, we have to find ways to camouflage that taste. Right. So that's a so that's a big part of what he's saying is this is poison. And so he uses that word poison over and over. And over right. again in a way that gets you to associate alcohol with poison, which is in itself a disgusting concept. Right. And as long as I, th when I am thinking of it as poison, I'm not inclined to consume it. Right. So that's a negative association, but I also have plenty of positive associations when it comes to alcohol. Right. And because that negative association is not being reinforced, I think one of the reasons that I am able to stay away from porn so successfully is that I am day by day in community and in conversations with people who are experiencing, are fresh off the experience mm -hmm. of the, the poisonous, destructive, just you know, horrendous effects of pornography. And I keep myself educated on what porn actually is, how it's created, what its true victims are, what its effects are. So it doesn't, I don't, I'm not able to maintain really a positive association in my brain. Right. Around porn. Which probably indicates if you would re-listen re to this book. Right. Every two to three months, maybe th every three months. Yeah four times a year, it probably would have kept a lot of that going mm -hmm. because it did, you know, give you about four it, it, months, yeah, yeah, solid yeah. four months right. up to six months right. of 
uh, this has a negative association with poison. Yeah, right, right. Uh, so now I have this ambivalent association with alcohol. Right. Now it's it's na- definitely detracted from my pleasure in drinking. Yes. Well, thank you, Alan Carr. <laughs> You've taken away some pleasure. So here's here's uh, some of where I'm going to push back. Uh, mm-hmm. Like his book, and I imagine his his whole. Uh, you know, he has what are they? Groups or. Places mm-hmm. where people can go to quit smoking and all right, that. Right, right, right. Goes to his clinic, yeah. Clinic, thank mm-hmm. you. And these are just, I imagine, heightened versions of this where you're immersed in it every day. Oh, he says it's a one-day treatment. Six hours and you're done. <laughs> yeah. The book took longer than six hours. It took hours. longer. Yeah, the book took eight hours, but in six hours, if you go to the clinic. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there's got to be follow-up. Is there no follow-up? Uh, nope. Uh, um, okay. So, so you know, I'm skeptical about, based on my own experience, I'm right. skeptical about his reported Right, I feel success. like there needs to be some follow-up yeah, right. to, to keep that going. Mm-hmm. Uh, his tool really is brainwashing, which mm-hmm. I, I don't say it negatively, right. because I think much of our training is brainwashing. Right, right. He wants to reframe the whole thing for Exactly. You. That's so much better reframing. Right. I mean, really, when people say, oh, the, the Christian church just brainwashes people. Well, I know. What do you define that? Yeah. Reframes things? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm not opposed to the reframing. Right. It was hard to me for me to hear certain things like uh, he said, nobody likes alcohol the first time they taste it. It's an acquired taste, they say. Mm-hmm. Well, if you didn't like it the first time, it means it didn't taste good. And so what you got used to was enjoying the effect of the alcohol, not the alcohol. Right. And I immediately thought, no, most kids don't like onions, Brussels sprouts, all kinds of things that as an adult, you find mm-hmm. your palate changes, you enjoy different right. tastes. Right. Right. So just say anything you didn't like Initially, as a 13-year-old, right. you poisonous? don't actually like and it's poison. Oh, I'm like, I see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not okay, gotcha. totally yeah. buying that. Right, right. The other one was when he talked about wine and people are kind of wine snobs. This is a good wine. That's a bad wine. Mm-hmm. And he, he was very honest in saying, I don't really drink much wine. I don't know much about wine, but I think all of them are lying and pretentious. Uh-huh. And... I will say that over the years of getting to play music at amazing wineries mm-hmm. where they gave me free wine that I never would have paid the money for. Right. I am now at least a slight snob in that you give me a four bottle of wine, four dollar bottle of wine, I'll be like, nah, no thank you. Yeah. Which I guess can mean I'm not an alcoholic in some respect that yeah. No, I'll I'll wait to go play somewhere where they give me some free good stuff. There is a vast difference between good and bad wine. Sure. So that was hard to listen to much of that chapter. Right, it was right, trying right. to debunk this doesn't exist as far as quality. Uh, but I think he was also bringing down the, oh, we try to turn alcohol into an art form, mm-hmm. which elevates the idea of it while it's still just poison yeah. uh, in an art vase. I am very conscious of the fact, though, that we we do have uh, an alcohol-saturated culture mm-hmm. in which um, drinking is more than accepted. It's assumed as the way mm-hmm. that we're going to socialize. 
uh, and it's a and it is a development that makes sobriety for those who don't want to drink at times unnecessarily awkward and burdensome. Well, especially because we've elevated it to if you can know the difference between good and bad. If right. you have a sophisticated sounding opinion about wine or I drink these IPAs. Oh, come on. IPAs exist because college exists and mm -hmm. there's like twice as much alcohol in an IPA. <laughs> they don't taste better. Are you kidding me? I'm going to get some crap for that. Oh, yeah. I'm going to push back on that. <laughs> come on. Come on, baby. Although I want to tell you, you know what I had the other day? Uh, I, actually, it's now been about, a, it's been over a month. I had an I, uh, a hop tea. You can get it at Whole Foods. <laughs> it's tea, in, but infused with hops. Okay. So it tastes like an IPA. It is wonderful. No alcohol? No alcohol. Zero oh, it's alcohol. Tea. It's mm -hmm. tea with hops. No alcohol, no calories. You know, I bought one on a whim. Loved it. Went back the next day to get another one. They were sold out. Now, um, anytime I go to Whole Foods, I go straight to that aisle to see if there's any there. Yeah. It, I, I totally get it. Even during times where I will say, hey, I'm not going to drink for the next three or six months. Uh -huh. I'll go and get uh, the Amstel Light, the Amber, when I'm just like, oh, I feel like a beer. Yeah. And there are non-alcoholic ones that yeah. are horrible. And there are some that I go, oh, yeah, that's good. But I do find during those times, I will have one or two of those while mm -hmm. I'm cooking dinner yeah. where I might have had three or four of those. And that's because alcohol dehydrates you and makes you thirsty. That's the thing. Mm -hmm. So that's another point he makes. Yeah. That this is... That it's not just a poison, but it's almost like a virus poison uh -huh. that is figuring out how to wheedle its way <laughs> deeper and yeah. deeper into you. Yeah, yeah. So fascinating book. I, yeah. I think it's worth people listening to. I don't think it's perfect. I do think there are times where he's making an argument where he he oversteps his argument a bit uh -huh. too much. Yeah. Uh, but I really enjoyed it. Did it, it affect your drinking at all? Uh yeah, I, I mean, it affected the way I thought about drinking, mm -hmm. for sure. Did your consumption drop at all? Um, Did you make fewer visits to the pub or order fewer beers or not? I mean, my my, <laughs> my pub time usually is associated with I work at home all day mm -hmm. and I need to get out, so I will go... There's a Toots down the street from me, right. and then there's the place that I'm in their beer club where I can get, like, eight-ounce beers right. to try. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think it changed doing that because that was more I needed to go take my laptop and right. not be sitting in my house. Sure. I definitely thought more about just alcohol in general. Right. Um, and at first, it certainly gave me the... Why am I doing this? I'm putting poison. Like, he does a great job of screwing with your brain. Really does, man. Like, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think if I really wanted to say, okay, I want to go to the place I'm in the beer club and just have iced tea from now on, mm -hmm. I would listen to that a few times in a row. Yeah. I would get somebody on board with me mm -hmm. because 
even at different times where I wanted to gauge how does alcohol affect me, I would call a friend and say, I'm going to text you every day. I would usually have two or three things where mm-hmm. I'd say, I'm not going to have any alcohol for the next three months. I'm not going to uh, watch X amount of movies. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to exercise X amount yeah. throughout the week. And then I would say, I'm just going to text you. You don't have to respond. And it's just going to have the initial of each of these three things with a plus or a minus. I did it or I didn't do it uh-huh. every day. So it was on me. They didn't have to do much. Yeah. And then we'd touch base once a week. That was enough for me. And then after three months, I could see like, yeah, I didn't really care. Or wow, that was hard. Right. Mostly I just wanted to check in with myself. Mm-hmm. What what do these things really mean at this point? Right. And that changes. You, I can't just do that once and think, oh, now I know what blank means. Yeah. Um, so if I if I wanted to really see a change, I would listen to that ongoing. Mm -hmm. And then maybe give it a month off and listen again. They give it a couple months off, listen again, and do it with somebody else. Yeah. And I think it would be really effective because I think it really, even just one listen, um, it made me question certain things for sure. Yeah. It gave me certain feelings where occasionally, well, I'll just, I'll I'll throw this in. (laughs) Uh, So growing up in a brethren church, going to a bar was the idea of going to a bar. I didn't even know anyone that went to a bar, or right. at least that got caught. Right. And we live in a small town, so... Sure. The, so when I was a pastor uh, in the next town over, I'd take the bus to work, and I spent a lot of time in coffee shops, working on sermons, whatever. But I would ride my bike to the bus, and I would go past this just disgusting bar right? that is no longer exists in a part of downtown San Luis that's all beautiful and awesome. Yeah, just a real dive bar. And I would look in. I I would get to the bus at about 4 in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I'd go past at 3 because I get to work at like 5, go home at 3. And I kept looking in there and thinking, man, I, I started thinking, where would Jesus write a sermon? Mm. That's a stupid question. Jesus probably you know, pull it from the hip. Just fine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I started thinking coffee shops are not social places. Right. Unless you're there with someone, nobody comes up to your table and talks to you. Right. And that's why you put two earbuds in. I actually wanted to do a comedy thing once with like, here's the nonverbals. If I wave to you, but don't take my either earbud out, it right. means don't come up. If I take one out, it means we're going to exchange like short pleasantries. <laughs> if I take both out, it means come to my table and sit down. Yeah. Uh, so one day I, I decided I'm going in there, and I was. This was the first bar I'd ever been in. Oh, really? In my life. Yeah, wow. Because I'm, I'm a brethren kid. Yeah. You know? Maybe okay. if I went camping somewhere mm. far enough from where I work, <laughs> I'd get a six pack of beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I go in, I sit down, I order a Coke because I'm certainly not going yeah, oh, to. Oh, I went to the bathroom real quick, and there was a half snorted line of cocaine on the top of the toilet thing wow. from the night before, and it smelled like puke. Wow. Uh, not the cocaine. I hadn't smelled the cocaine. Okay. That anyway. Be, but anyway. So I sit down and I start working on my sermon like I would at a coffee shop. Guy next to me uh, looks up at the game and says, who's winning? Right. I said, uh, I don't know. I'm not really watching. Baseball is kind of a rough thing between me and my dad. He says, oh, my dad used to beat me with a, 
what did he say? It was horrible. I can't remember yeah. what it was. And I was like, okay. Yeah. And then he just starts telling his life story. Yeah. And I thought, this is not like a coffee shop. Yeah. So then I, I go back a few times and I keep ordering a Coke. And yeah. then all of a sudden I start to realize I'm going where Jesus, I think Jesus would go to hang out, but I'm ordering like a Pharisee. Uh-huh. I'm like, God, this is very complicated. Why did I start doing this? Yeah. And so I, I ordered a beer the next time. But then I went home and thought, I didn't really want a beer. Uh-huh. But I bought a beer because I didn't want to be a Pharisee. <laughs> it took me forever to realize, okay, I'm going to this place. I'm getting way less work done because everybody's freaking talking to me every time I go in. Uh-huh. If I want a beer, I'll get a beer. If I want a Coke, I'll get a Coke. If I want an iced tea, I'll get an iced tea, which usually they wouldn't even charge me for the Coke because I don't think yeah. they had a thing to charge yeah. you for it. It was only for putting with yeah, yeah, rum. Yeah. Uh, it was confusing yeah. to work that stuff out mm -hmm. that, you know, coming from the extreme that was similar to your extreme in those ways, yeah. you have to put the pieces together on your relationship with alcohol. Sure. Uh, I think alcohol's done so much damage to so many people's lives. Yeah. I mean, I remember visiting a, a woman in the hospital that just couldn't slash wouldn't stop. Yeah. And then got so drunk, she walked out in the room, got run over. Yeah, yeah. And I remember thinking, why don't you just stop it? This yeah. is crazy. And that was a moment that I realized I don't understand addiction at all. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think it's great to kind of put your finger on the pulse of this. Yeah. In anyone's life. Yeah. And say if it's not a big deal then it shouldn't be a big deal to stop and see how that feels. Sure. What, what is the hold on me? I think, that's the, I think that's the phrase right there, see how it feels. To me, that's where I go next. How, I, I think I've, I've got to go to awareness. If, I, if alcohol is about shutting down awareness, mm -hmm. then I don't think that's where I want to go. Right. So um, the question is, if, I'm, if I am going to continue to drink, can I remain fully aware of where I am, yeah, what I'm present. doing, what I'm feeling present in the experience? Or am I, am I checking out? Mm -hmm. Am I running from something? Am I medicating with it? That's the question. Or am I an introvert who's trying to figure out a shortcut to be an extrovert? Yeah, right. All those types of things. Yeah. But that's not the issue when I'm with Allie, you know. Right. Yeah. So, again, we're talking about a kind of secondary and tertiary issues in our lives. Right. You've identified what your main issue is. For somebody else, alcohol is their main issue. Sure. So most of what we said is irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So we're talking about those other things that, yeah, I'm not doing the main thing. Right. But, oh, I, I seem to have picked up a couple other things. Maybe it's bad. Maybe it doesn't matter. Right. I need to find out. And I don't think anyone can simply tell us. I think we just need to be really honest with ourselves. Yeah. Which I am prone to dishonesty with myself. Sure. So I, I must do these types of things or I, I can't know. Um, so, yeah, fun journey. It's a, All right. It's a journey. And I'll tell you what, coming up, bringing right up behind alcohol and what's gaining on me and gaining on a lot of people is uh, the internet and social media. 
And I do want to recommend, if you haven't seen it yet, that new Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Is that going to bum you out too? Internet's poison, which I, I think it is. Please be bummed out by any social media crap. Please. Uh, all right. We'll be right back to wrap this up in just a moment here on the Pirate Bunk Podcast. And we're back on the Pirate Bunk podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Restarting this segment because yeah. the last one didn't work at all. Uh-huh. All right. What do we what do we got left? I think we're gonna wrap because I've got to get back to my house to host the seven o'clock virtual meeting of the Franklin original Franklin group, which now is pulling guys from other states. So it's no longer the original Franklin uh, is group. Is the original Franklin group not meeting live? It is meeting live, but okay. you know, for the sake of my wife, I'm uh, still yeah. distancing and stuff, right. so I'm not going. Because I was going to go to that. But it's happening. you've got a virtual one as well. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, we would love to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Um, this, honestly, we just said a bunch of stuff, pretty lighthearted, that's pretty controversial. Right. There are some people with strong feelings mm-hmm. about, uh, geez, I know so many pastors who would say, I've, I've had to officiate funerals of mm-hmm. people for decades that have died from DUIs, so I can't possibly drink those types of things. That's okay. a reason. Cool. It's a good thing. Um, so you might have some thoughts you want to throw out. We are happy to hear them. Right. Um, I mean, we'll only read the ones we agree with or... <laughs> No, we love reading stuff that is is different points of views on this. And you can reach us at piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. All right, that about wraps it up. So until next time, I'm Nate. I'm Aaron. And we are your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Hold on to me as we go. As we roll down this unfamiliar road And although this wave is stringing us along Just know you're not alone Cause I'm gonna make this place your home